0: You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. Hey everybody, this is Chuck Marone with Strong Towns. We're coming... Live from Santa Rosa, California, I'm sitting in an Airbnb with my friend Joe Manicozzi sitting across the table from me. Hey, Joe.
1: Hello. Hello from West End, Santa Rosa. Yeah. Near the railroad square district.
0: Railroad square district. Don't call it the railroad district. Definitely don't call it the railroad district. Is it is the railroad square district.
1: Without a square.
0: How uh, how are you enjoying your time here in California?
1: Oh, we're having a blast. Um, it's a bit intense. We're, we're doing a a boot camp with you this this week so it's just uh a lot of presentations and meetings and we're uh talking about the today we just got, came from a presentation on um the train system that they're doing here from uh it's actually part of a Calthorpe plan uh created in the 90s I think
0: to run the train up from basically north of San Francisco right
1: north of San Francisco and essentially take in the communities north of San Francisco as commuter towns and create that regional transportation system that wasn't here or maybe was here a long time ago, but it's
0: disappeared. Right. Right. And then we get this huge investment and nobody's doing the math. Oh, excuse me. There, someone's doing the math, but it's just not, not sure what's happening with it. Well, It's not 100%. Of the it's, math. it's 90% of the math. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's an inside joke. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, one of the things, one of the feedback that we, we always get when we're working with uh, groups of technical professionals and staff members, there's, there's a certain like predictable feedback. One is, we're already doing this. And uh, I always look and say, okay, well, <laughs> where is it? <laughs> the other one is, my, that's kind of your pet peeve, which I, I see. My pet peeve is, oh, this is great. W- w- tell me what to do. and I'm, I'm like, okay what about professional is not part of your job description? Like, you know, how is thinking like divorced from what, who you are and what you do? I mean, aren't, aren't you retained because you have the ability to, to think and solve problems? Well, if
1: My existing checklist doesn't work and if I just have another checklist, then it's definitely going to solve the problem.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This is a recurring frustration I have with staff, but eh, you know, we move on. Yeah. Um, we, You got in like super late. Your flights got all screwed up. You got in really late on Monday. Uh, they had us busy from like sunup to sundown and, and beyond on Tuesday and Wednesday. But last night, Wednesday night, we were able to go to the Big Short together, which is really a lot of fun. And it occurred to me that we should, first of all, talk a little bit about this movie. Have you read the book or, or not? Yeah. You yeah, did. Yeah. So, so we're both familiar with the book. We are both now have seen the movie. I wanted to start the conversation by having each of us tell a a related story of working in a system that was all screwed up, where we stood at the epicenter of like things being screwed up and could see it but but didn't weren't able to do a lot. And people who've heard the podcast before have probably heard my story, but I'm gonna let you start with your experience working for essentially a, a real estate investment trust, wasn't it?
1: Uh, it's a, a real estate investment group. that It's essentially the um, – it was John Hancock Real Estate Investment in Boston. And I would kind of talked my way in grad school into being an intern. And I wanted to basically be involved with real estate development because before grad school, I was a designer uh, working in architecture and been bitten by the bug of – community development i thought well developers have the actual power to actually do things as opposed to me a designer trying to talk a a, a developer into i know you want to do an office building here but it really would be a great mixed use development right Where developers already made a decision on the building that's going to impact the city so a lot of that was financial you know why why like i think many of the listeners here are probably experiencing a hotel boom in their community well gee why is that happening and 10 years ago or 15 years ago, maybe, it was, a, it was a condo boom. And all of these are cash flows that are being driven by broader capital markets on where they want to put money. And to really oversimplify it, it's basically a series of sine curves that are moving through the system. And you want to start investing when the sine curve is at the bottom and you want to get out when it goes to the top.
0: It's fascinating to me because when you showed me this graph – it reminded me of this thing I read about ecological systems and fox and rabbits, and it, it was it, it made so much sense because basically you had the population of fox and the fox I don't know what the plural of fox is foxes yeah okay the the <laughs> someone's singing like what does the fox say at this point um so the population of fox and the population of rabbits are on like opposite sign curves and once it was explained it's like oh that's pretty obvious because what what happens when there's not many fox is that the rabbits breed and multiply and there get to be a lot of rabbits and then when there's a lot of rabbits it's easier for the fox to find food and it's easier for the fox to survive and so all of a sudden there's more foxes in the ecosystem when there's more foxes they eat all the rabbits and the rabbit population goes way down And then the foxes start to starve and die off, and and have a difficult time, and so the fox population goes down, and that makes the rabbit population go back up. So there's this um, thing where if you take a snapshot in time, you just say, "Wow, there's not a lot of fox," or "There's a whole ton of rabbits." But it's it's a it's a system that is not like at an equilibrium point, but in an equilibrium range where it goes up and down and up and down and up and down. And this is what you were describing to me. Well, and and then what
1: happens is is an investor. I don't know if my hotel is going to succeed, but when I see that there's not enough rooms and the occupancy rate is super, super high, so my risk is really low, that you know, 90% of the rooms are used 90% of the time, that's pretty good. I can do the math on that and see that my millions of dollars of investment will actually work out because a healthy hotel market is somewhere around 85% occupancy. So if I know those numbers, then I'm going to put together a deal to do this. Now, this isn't to say... Developments bad or dumb. It's just it takes a lot of money to get money from people. A lot of time to get money from people and to go through the system of getting an approval and getting the building built and doing the construction documents and all that stuff. So all that time has to operate in a certain way. Well, what's happening in my hometown, Asheville, North Carolina, right now? We have I think ten hotels or something crazy going on in the downtown. Yeah. Which is that too much? I don't know. One of those might fail. Um, but it's also it's also a symptom of, uh, to quote Kevin Lynch, "What time is this place?" You know that, that that's what's going on right now. Um, what will happen is that will, the market will get saturated. Money will move to a different thing, and that's just understanding the broader capital markets. But um, anyway, I'm off topic here. Uh, what I what I did is worked in real in John Hancock. They had this uh, as a real estate investment group. So if you bought John Hancock insurance, they take your money. And then, if you need to execute on that insurance, like let's say you need to use your policy because, um, you know, it's a life insurance policy, and somebody fa- passes, Someone away, passes away, yeah, you have to collect that money that I've been giving you, right, John Hancock, for
0: by the way, years. none of these stories are going to make people feel very good about. Right.
1: <laughs> well, the, it's, it's being aware of what's going on. Right? right. You want to have a return on your investment. You don't have the time to play the the bond market the stock market or whatever the gambling that goes on to use michael lewis right make this full circle here um when he wrote liars poker and making fun by pointing out what wall street is which is just a big legal casino basically and in any casino there's winners and losers um so when you buy an investor when you buy a a money manager of some sort. You're buying, you're paying for that expert to know what the hell's going on in that market, right? And to make educated gambling choices. Um, insurance companies, your pension fund, all those things are a much more risk adverse group of that. So what they're going to do is they're not just going to go take all of your money. If I, if you write a check for, uh, you know, a thousand dollars a year, they're not going to take your thousand dollars and just stick it all in the stock market. They're going to split that thousand dollars into some bonds, some treasury accounts, some CDs, some, you know, just all across all the different mechanisms. They're going to put little pieces of it all over the place. Some of it they're going to stick in real estate. And then they generalize that real estate down to, okay, we've, we can break that dollar of the thousands, of the thousand, let's say five bucks. We're going to take your five bucks into real estate. We're going to put a dollar of it into office parks, uh, 50 cents into malls, 50 cents into low income housing tax credits, another 25 cents into trailer parks.
0: Right, right.
1: All the ingredients of what make up cities. Um, My role or the way that I kind of talked myself into this company was to, I'm trained as an architect, I wanna help look at these assets uh, from an architectural standpoint, you know, can we can we actually make better investments in buildings? Um so that was kind of my role was to look at how so buildings. Work.
0: You, so you've got guys that you're working with, men, women who are trying to find a place to put money. Money's coming in. Yeah. People are buying insurance policies, they're making investments, and you say we we've, we've got to park this money somewhere that will p- hopefully pay a return mm-hmm. on our investment. So you so you're stepping back looking at this Saying what? Well, the the
1: my boss uh, is brilliant man. His name is Curtis Davis. Um, is an architect. He headed the architecture architecture pool. So, what Curtis's job was is for us is we were supposed to go out and look at the buildings and seeing how they were falling apart. Um, John Hancock spent this money and became owner of these buildings. So basically, a developer. So that I'm a developer. I show up in your community in Topeka, and I build. Um, some office park at the edge of town. Right. I'm not going to be the owner of that office park, generally speaking. In most cases, what I'm going to do is, is get it built, it get it built, get it leased up, and then I'm going to package that lease and ownership and sell it off to somebody that I have a relationship with.
0: Because that's a different set of money. It's yeah. a different kind of money. A, a developer's money is a transactional kind of exchange, which is very different than someone who is holding yeah. that, which is more of a long-term rent, rentier kind of thing. Exactly. Where I'm, I'm putting money to work to get dividends or, or rents or whatever on an annual basis.
1: Well, think of it if, if I'm in your neighborhood and I happen to have $5 bucks, And I say to you at the other end of this podcast, I have $5 million to invest in your neighborhood. And that's all I want is you to find me houses, get people into those houses, and I want to I want to see the leases and make sure that they have a five year lease to stay there. Right. And so I want cash flow. I want out cash of this. flow. So yeah. I'm bu- I'm buying a cash flow stream that pays off my investment that I'm giving you your five million bucks, mm-hmm. and then at the end of that, what what I have is I have an asset that if I choose I can sell it all and get my five million bucks back plus some gains because of the real estate appreciation, right? Right. So that's how I'm looking at it. Now, what we were seeing is that inside our portfolio, we were spending $100 million a year fixing buildings. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at these things and asking the obvious questions as architects, which is, well, that's a lot of money. Right, you know, right, so, um, can't we, <laughs> can we do a lot with that? Can we do yeah. a lot with that? So what we're seeing in it is that the people who are the asset managers, who were technically the owners of the building, so um this is kind of how it worked that was kind of the, 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 the my epiphany moment was when we had this meeting and it was all the you know everybody in their suits they sat at this big table i had to sit in the second row behind my boss right and the ceo came in and he goes men here's the deal we've got a cash call happening we need to get 150 million dollars into the dirt asap yep and like that was the meeting. Now I'm sitting there watching this. <laughs> Spend 150 million as now. quickly as possible. So everybody goes, right. "Yes, sir." They all run back to their offices and start calling all their developers who they have the relationships with in all of these communities where we had, where we identified where we wanted to be. So right. it could be it could be Tacoma, it could be Topeka, it could be Tucson. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were calling their developers in those areas and saying, "Where do you have a building that we could buy?" And it wasn't in their incentive. To spend as much as possible, as quickly as possible. Right. Which was mind-blowing to me because as an architect, we were always told, make it cheaper, make it, you know. Right. Because we're talking with a developer who is essentially the the field uh, general. Right. Who's got to get it done in that community. Well, once it's packaged and operational, he's looking to sell it to somebody, to either Kelpers or us or yep. Prudential. Right. And we're just like this big leviathan of money that just needs to get into the ground real quickly. right? Well – we don't have an emotional relationship with that investment. We just need to put it into the ground because a lot of money came flooding in from some other gain we were getting in, let's say, a bond market or something else that was at the that was peaking. Yep. And and you that's, can't just
0: keep it in cash. You got to do something with it.
1: Yeah. And right. so you know, like basically, there's too many rabbits over here. Right. We need to take some of the rabbit profit and uh, throw it into some foxes. Right. Right. Yep. So at a at a bigger macro level. So even though we have the fox and the rabbit thing going on inside real estate between hotels and, and uh, strip malls, right? at a bigger macro level, money's moving around in other markets too. Mm-hmm. So we got a flood of money in, we go out and go on a spending spree. Um, what was fascinating to me just looking at the floor plan of the office is the only ones that were really bouncing around between the divisions was, was our department, the architects. Um, as well as at the top level, the exec, the, the the CEO of the of the real estate group, and I talked with Curtis one day. I said, you know, it's kind of funny. We own all of the pieces of a city. Yeah. We own strip malls. We own malls. We own low income housing tax credit projects. We own trailer parks. I mean, just we've got all of the hotels. So we've got all of the ingredients. Why don't we just buy a damn city, right? You know, and, and make it
0: make it work. Yeah.
1: Right, and it was kind of funny because I was like, what, twenty eight years old at the time. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Was yeah, like, I'm wearing a suit with Adidas sneakers. Everybody <laughs> thought I was a freak. I'm walking around with my headphones on most of the time.
0: I I was there, dude. Same thing, except mine were Air Jordans. <laughs> yeah, and um, it's like, who is like, what do we do with this guy? Yeah, yeah.
1: And um, you know, it's it's kind of funny. He's like, I I think Curtis had an incredible sense of humor because he he told me he's like, oh, you should go meet with the CEO and tell him that theory. And so. I booked myself a meeting with this guy, the CEO, whose office was like the size of my, my house. Yeah. Corner office. It was like a you 1,200-square-foot know, office on the 50th floor.
0: <laughs> who is this little man yeah. coming to see me now? And I was just like, hey, we should just buy a
1: damn city. And he's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, well, there's this guy, Andre Stawani, who I used to work with. He'd go off into these farm fields and get full entitlement for a village of somebody that wanted to build a complete mixed-use environment. Yet yeah, they, they were cash poor because it was some very community driven property owner right? who wanted to, like, this is the type of person I want to And the it. fact
0: that all the money runs through like crazy things like we're doing here. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: so it's like, well, you know, it, if, if, you're, if you're investing in an office plex, shouldn't you be investing in the housing in the same area because you know the office works? So it's just to fund the whole thing. And he had a really funny response. He's like, well, why hasn't anybody told me this?
0: Uh huh. Which is actually a good question for a CEO to ask. Yeah. And I was
1: like, well, I don't know. And my my only my (laughs) only response was, look, dude, I only make fifteen dollars an hour. I honestly don't care. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm looking at the system of people who are smart people, but they're just kind of like operating unconsciously on a system. Yeah. Moving massive amounts of money and like they're like just an average person inside that office was getting in a Christmas bonus what I'd make in like five years. Right. And it was mind blowing to me. I was like, I can't not believe like coming from architecture where if you get a hundred dollar check at the end of every, of every year is your bonus. Right. You're they like, love me. Yeah. yeah. I got a hundred dollars and you're watching people get like a, you know, a, a five figure. Right. Uh, bonus check every year. And um, for just
0: m- moving money. Yeah. Buying just, things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which
1: back to the big short, when I read that book, and when I watched the movie, um, the, the one I'd identified with the most is the, um, but uh, you know, I didn't operate the same way, but the, the, the things that he said is that Deutsche Bank guy. Yeah. Um, in the book,
0: it's Greg Littman from yeah.
1: Deutsche Bank. Where, yeah. Where he's like, I mean, you know, in, the, in the movie, he's a little bit more pointed and brazen about it. He goes, look, they're all stupid. Right. Um, and then you meet the, um. The, yeah. the asian guy uh-huh. yeah.
0: the the wen Weng ho yeah uh at the uh, conference in las vegas yeah and who's by who who you know Littman introduces him to everybody so they can see cuz one of the things in the big short is that no one can believe the the people who have figured out this trade the fact that the housing market is based on this like pillar of lies uh you know covered up in 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 smoke screen. the people who have kind of like delve through this, and it's hilarious because Mike Barry said, yeah, you know, they asked him, how' did you figure this out?" He's like, I just read the prospectus they put out. I've just read the stuff I, that they I looked published. at it right I looked at it, I actually questioned it um they had to they they had this apprehension, this like continual apprehension that someone like I'm not the smartest guy in the room. someone else has figured this out like how how is it that I have figured this out and nobody else has?" Um, you know, someone has got to be really stupid. And and what they did at that meeting in Las Vegas is they put the investors who were doing the trade in the room with the stupid people. And they found out that the, the people weren't stupid in the sense that they were low IQ, but they had all the incentives to do really stupid things. They had no incentive to uh, ask the hard questions. Like, your guys at uh at at the place who you know we gotta we gotta clear 150 million dollars of stuff go by well all of a sudden the the questions that you ask especially when you know if, if you can be the guy who clears it you're gonna get the biggest bonus the questions you ask start to go in a different direction yeah right?
1: and so I, you know I was, I was looking at i remember i sat down with one one finance officer and again being what I consider dumb, I mean, I didn't know, I didn't understand real estate finance. I didn't go to school for real estate finance. I was coming at it from an architectural angle. So I was asking different questions. I remember sitting with this, with this one guy and I was showing him a picture of an office building in Topeka and I was showing him a picture of an office building in Tacoma. And I'm like, okay, Bill, how are these any different buildings? He's like, well, they're both class A. And I'm like, no, 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 you're missing the question. Why are they both class A? Right. And he's like, "Well, that one's eighty-five percent leased up. This one's eighty percent leased up. They have a floor plate of blah blah blah." I'm like, "No, do you notice the difference between these buildings?" Uh. And I, I just kept on asking questions. And finally, I was like, <laughs> "I was like, look, these are the same exact building, yeah, in two totally different environments, but yeah, they're the same damn curtain wall piece of crap, right? Office park thing, <laughs> right? And it, it's in, in my mind, architecturally, it's a piece of
0: shit. Pardon the
1: language, but yeah. it's like."
0: Now you're gonna to have to make me uh put like yeah, expletive on this uh yeah. this podcast for the first time. Sorry. No, I think I had to do that once with Counselor too. Okay.
1: Well this we can do uh we can do uh whatever's <laughs> censored for children can't listen to this. But go, it's, go ahead. Okay, piece of crap. Um, <laughs> but um you know it it's these are buildings that we're paying to fix and they fall they're designed to fall apart quickly. And we weren't asking that question, but yet at the architectural side, we're looking at this massive bill of a hundred million dollars a year, and we're like, I mean, heck, if we can just just cut thirty percent out of that, right? That
0: everybody gets their bonus and
1: then some. Yeah, right. so it's just like we can. I mean, that's no, that's not no small small change. Um, and it's just simple stuff like we were changing air conditioners before we fixed the windows, which is kind of stupid because windows leak, and you want to seal the bag before you right. condition it um so just simple stuff like that but when you look bigger at a bigger picture the architecture why not buy a downtown building and they're like well that's class c it's like well why is that older building class c what and i i just just as a naive idiot like what is the difference between class c and class a yeah who determined that right because i look at these buildings that were built in the 1920s and see them and go well damn these are cool yeah, I'd like to have my office there with gargoyles on top of it and stuff like that carved out of stone. That'd be pretty pretty awesome.
0: Uh, that building's been there for 100 years. I think it's probably a store of value. Yeah. Uh, I think we've kind of demonstrated that where so, this, you know, tin shack out in the edge with sheetrock, you know, throughout is not been there that long. But
1: it's these, like, you know, it's things that Strong Towns talks about. These are these standards. Yeah. These ways we've always done it. Yeah. This is some smart people have figured out what class A and class C. And there's just these systems that get built on top of systems. They calcify like barnacles. And, and this is what was going on. Now it was the beauty about the executive is he thought this was hilarious to go after. He's like, I, I was so totally surprised by his response. He's like, so you mean like, like the new town movements of the seventies? <laughs> and I was like, you know about those? He's like, Oh hell yeah. We were involved with buying the one down in Virginia, Rustin, Why back. When I was your age, we did that. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, let's do that. That sounds like fun. Pull together a conference. And so we pull together this conference. We fly Duani in. Yeah. To like, you know, pimp us out one of your towns. And so he's got this developer with him. Right. And it was classic. It was a really kind of a phenomenal meeting. And we had like this.
0: Did Juani beat them up or was he? No, no.
1: Andreas was like, it was kind of funny. He just he had this look in his face like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> I'm standing in the back of the room eating donuts and just kind of like watching the whole thing going down.
0: The guy who, because you interned for yeah. Dwani, right? So yeah. he's like, Joe, you set this up. <laughs>
1: yeah, it was funny. But, um. You know, back to the sign curves, they actually decided to go for it. Okay. They're like, this all makes sense. Well, the problem was timing. It was 1998
0: mm. and what started
1: happening with real estate. Yeah. It started shooting through the roof. The,
0: the crazy stuff started to take over. Yeah. Yeah. It drowned everything else out. Do you know what we got into? What? Mortgage-backed securities. Nice. Yeah, not nice? Because <laughs> that was the hot thing. Yeah.
1: So basically, again, looking at these sign curves, we started – Rather than buying buildings, we started selling our buildings and flipping that money into mortgage backed securities, which were starting to shoot through the roof. Right. Now, John Hancock being smart people, they're again, they're looking at the sign curves at a higher level, and they probably rode mortgage backed securities to maybe 2000. Yeah. Maybe 2003 or something like that. Chances are they never made it to the top of that ski slope. They're just not that kind of people. Um, which is smart, but they're you know that's conservative money and that's how that operates. But um, anyway, back to the to the Big Short. The bigger lesson to me in that movie is is the is the the system that happens, in how the system moves and how people within that system protect protect the system, right? Rather than see the bigger picture, and you see that you see the Stephen Carell character wrestle with that, um, overtly. You don't see you, you don't get that emotion out of the book. Um, right, where right. where it's like you can tell he is really conflicted, right? With with that, he doesn't want to invest in the assassination of the American system because he still believes in it,
0: right? Or um, or wants to, yeah. Let me give you my story, um, because I, I it's it's interesting because mine comes a little bit earlier and it's it it at the time seemed very surreal to me, and in retrospect now I realize why. So I got out of college in 1995 with an engineering degree. I got married at the end of 1995 and my wife and I moved into an apartment and we're looking at homes. And what we figured out is that the housing market in the Brainerd Lakes area had been kind of crazy. Uh, The things in places that we wanted, we thought were mispriced. And we realized that we could probably build a house at, at a at a, at a, the same cost or less and uh wind up with something that was in the market probably going to appreciate more so i designed i mean i'm i don't know what i thought i was doing but i, I designed my own house i laid it out you've been to my place yeah. i i designed it um and in uh it would have been like april may of of that year we we bought a lot and i went to the bank and said i i want to Build this house. What do they want to know from me? Like, do you have a you job? Know, oh, yeah. I, I guess they wanted to know if I had a job. Um, I, you know, I'm thinking I'm never going to get a loan for anything. I mean, who am I? I'm a 22-year-old schmuck with, with like nothing, no collateral, no money, no anything. I've got a set of plans and a, a lot that I put some money down on. How is this going to work? And I walked into the bank and with hardly any questions asked, they're like, oh yeah, you know, you, you, we can do this, no problem. And they walked me through how I would get a construction loan and then they would roll that over and do a mortgage and everything was, you know, everything was great. And we, they kind of walked me through the whole process. So I said, okay, um, what do you need from me? Well, we need a set, a set of plans. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm not an architect. I didn't, oh no, just, you know, so I, I came in with my like, they were CAD-drawn plans, but they, they were not architects' plans. I mean, they were like, here's the dimensions of the house. Here's the dimensions of the room. I didn't lay out where the wiring was going to do. I was going to put that in myself, right? So they said, well, um, how much is this going to cost you to build? And I would gotten like the lumber yard to price out the lumber, and I'd gotten a bid from different contractors. So I, I roughly knew what it was going to cost. It's like 140000 for me to build. And they said, okay we can loan you up to 80% of what the home is worth. So it's gonna cost you 140 to build. You need it to be worth like 185. Let's send this out to an appraiser then and see what it comes back. Well, guess what it came back at?
1: 185.
0: 185. <laughs> wow, <laughs> A miracle, a miracle. And I thought, this is this is brilliant. You know, I'm I'm, you know, going to put my own sweat equity into this thing. I'm going to make this work and I'm going to be able to build a one hundred eighty five thousand dollar house for one hundred forty thousand. And like this is going to be great. And I like believed in what I was. So I went out and did it and I had no experience in building a house. I mean, i would never done this before, obviously. Um, I'm hiring contractors. I'm lining things up. I'm, I, I did the wiring myself and like the insulating myself and some of the plumbing and so, you know, tried to save costs and everything. And we get to the point, it's kind of a a miracle when I look back at it, that I actually stayed on the schedule because I started in May and I finished the house at the end of October. We moved in like right after Halloween and we went to close on the house. And the deal was we had to have like certain amount of it finished before they would move the construction loan over to the the mortgage. mortgage, Right. And I didn't have, like, two of, the, two, of the, two of the rooms were not done. They were not going to be done. And I was nervous that this is going to be a big deal. And I actually was, we were supposed to close on October 1st. And I called, like, in mid-September and locked in my rate, right? Like, I locked in the rate. And yeah, that was a big deal because that put us on this time frame. And I, I wasn't going to make the time frame. So I called the bank, like, end of October. And <clears throat> basically, I told them, like, I can't have this all done. Their first response was, we, you know, we don't care. Like, it, was, it was basically like, "No, nobody, nobody's, nobody's coming out to look thing, yeah. at your house to see if it's done or not. We just got to take care of the paperwork. And I said, well, you know, clearly it's not. And I, I think I'd probably cross some ethical boundary by telling them that you know, I was not meeting their standards. Uh, and they said, okay, well, we've got a problem here because you're locked in. And I'm like, well, I've been monitoring the rates and the rates have only gone down. So what happens if we don't make the lock-in date, you know, like some kind of financial apocalypse happen because I can still keep paying the interest on the construction loan and then, you know, I'll lock in again at a lower rate. And that took them like a day to figure out. And they got back to me and they said, yeah, we'll just do it whenever you're ready. So we lined it up, we set it, and we closed. I'm surprised they didn't hold you to the higher interest rate. Say. No, they, they they didn't because I told them, I said, because the other thing, I'm I kind of pushed it, I said, am I locked into closing with you on my mortgage or can I go somewhere else? <laughs> like, oh, hang on, we'll get back to you. <laughs> they gave me the lower rate. So, so everything, everything is good going in, right? I am a, a fairly intelligent guy, I, I think. And I, I, you know I'm, I am not like a crazy risk taker, but I'm a calculated risk taker. And in the mid-1990s, the interest rates were, I think my mortgage was like 8%. And I looked and they had adjustable rate mortgages that were like five and a half. They were a good two and a half percentage points lower. And I asked them, explain this adjustable rate mortgage to me. And so they went through and they explained it to me like, here's what happens. It's based off of this like federal funds rate. And it's a, you know, it's a factor of that. And I looked at what the federal funds rate was. and It was like three and a half percent. So I'm like, okay, 2% above that. That makes a lot of sense and they said it will, it will adjust every year and there will be like a, it can't adjust up more than a certain percent or down a certain percent. And I thought I'm a 22-year-old guy who just built a house. I've got plenty of equity now. Um, I'm comfortable with an adjustable rate. I actually feel like the market right now and my investment strategy is, is such that I can tolerate the risk of, a, of an adjustable rate if it gives me a lower interest rate. And this was like a very – you know, to me, I was not – I did not realize that this was a teaser rate. Like that's what they never explained to me. They just explained this is what the fixed rate is. This is what the adjustable rate was. And it made a lot of sense to me that the adjustable rate would be lower because the risk is transferred from the bank to me. And when the bank is assuming more risk, they're going on a higher rate. So this was all quite logical to me. So I signed up for this loan. A year later, and I had been watching – the fed funds rate and the fed funds rate had actually gone down a percentage point. And so I was expecting that my mortgage would actually drop when the reset date hit a year later. Uh, I want to say my initial mortgage was like $800 or something like that. And I got in the mail like a $1,200 mortgage statement and I just called the bank. I'm like, yeah, some, you guys screwed up here somewhere. Like something's something's wrong. You 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 know you did your math wrong or something because I I've, I've been watching this I'm like I know what's going on and uh you know go ahead and fix this and then send me the bill and I'll I'll pay it I'm like no no that that's the bill and this was my introduction to teaser rates so understand like I'm not some person being duped here I'm some person who's like done their deal like, yeah. yeah so I get introduced to teaser rates and they're like no that was the the teaser rate. The actual adjustable rate is here, and it was some like obnoxiously high number, higher than if I had done a stupid fixed rate, right? So I, I kind of went ballistic on him. I'm like, w- you know, what are you, what are you telling me? Like, how is this? And I called up my mortgage broker and I, I kind of chewed her out. And she said, well, you can always refinance. You can always refinance. I'm like, well, what is involved with refinancing? About 5,000 bucks. That was the key. Yeah. She said, you know, this and this and, and you'd have to pay the origination fee. And I think it, it was like, it was like $3,500 and you
1: pay for new appraisal. Exactly. Pay for somebody to say that you don't live in a floodplain. Yes. 200 bucks.
0: Yes. So, so I sitting there thinking, okay. I, and, and I won't say money was like a huge, like we weren't destitute, but uh, you know, an additional, I was planning my mortgage going down. Yeah. It was going like $400 in the opposite direction. You know, that was a, a car payment and a half. That was a big that was a big deal for us at the time, in particular. And you know that was the difference between you know what, that was a big deal. Uh, so you know I I I was like I I was kind of stuck. Like what do I do? And I went in and I I said I I, I will re uh, you know refinance. I will not do an adjustable rate. I'll do a fixed rate this time. But I ain't paying this origination fee. I'm not paying any of this stuff. And they said, Well, that's you know, that's the game. That's what you have to do. And I said, This is this is criminal. Like you did not tell me. Like I, I sat here with you and went through all this. And you you'd never said that this was a teaser rate. You explained how adjustable rates work. I totally got it. I'm with you. Um, and basically I I kind of like put them on the spot. Like, you guys are not being ethical here. They waived all but like five hundred dollars the origination fee for me. Wow. Um yeah, and, and I walked away from there feeling like, okay, I can negotiate things. Like I'm a I'm a I'm a wheeler dealer here. Like I can negotiate. And it didn't it wasn't until like years later that it sunk in to me that they just didn't want me to like bitch about their racket, right? Like they had this whole shtick going. And here was this guy. How many people didn't ask that question? How many people didn't push that? Here's like the one guy who like pushes a little bit and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll take care of you. Don't worry about it. Don't ask too many questions. Don't push this. Like, don't make a big stink out of it. Uh, We'll, we'll, we'll take care of it. And we'll like find another sucker over here who is not going to come in and, and, and ask questions and throw a big fit. it's, It's,
1: it's no different from your cable company. I mean, you get these, Hey, you can have full cable if for three months, if, $10 Ten dollars a month, and then but then they you know write in the fine print that it's going to balloon up to one hundred and twenty dollars a month right uh, four months from now. Um, but if you go and complain, they're like, oh yeah, we'll dial it back a little bit. Yes, yeah. I don't know. It's the fluid system of of catching people. I guess
0: this is a crazy thing. I, I'm you know I knew I was making a huge investment. I mean I I'm a twenty two year old guy just married who's you know getting hundred forty thousand dollar debt. That meant a lot. I mean, that, that freaked me out. And so I, I actually read the fine print. I mean, I, I, I'm, I didn't sit in the mortgage closing and read every document, but ahead of time, all the stuff they gave me, I read through teaser. I, it never ever was even in my remotest notion. And I was, I was kind of trying to be skeptical of it. I'm like, how does this work and all that? So you look and like, that was 1996. OK, and 1997 is when I refinanced. It wasn't until, you know, five years later, six years later, that like pervasive fraud started. It, when you look back at the housing bubble and like the big short, like pervasive fraud really became you know, ubiquitous in, in the early 2000s to mid 2000s. I was before that. And I was seeing, you know, in retrospect, seeing it then in a very real way. Well, there, and there's all... Um... It's funny
1: at that time frame of the big short i was I had moved from West Palm Beach, Florida to um Asheville, and I remember saying to my father um who had, was living in Florida at the time, I just said there's just not enough butts to put in the seats right. there's no way, and we were doing four thousand units of housing in downtown. We were already seeing it back in two thousand and two thousand and two right the, the, there's just, there's just not the population flow. And what it, what it, and out of, for those in the listening audience, I, I think you probably all remember there was a TV show called Flippers. Yeah, you know, yeah, it, it, that was going on back then. Not it's about
0: like, dolphins, about homes. Yeah. yeah,
1: and there's like we were celebrating the house flip, right? And so you have this the the the, the adjustable arm.
0: I forgot about that. Yeah, and that's one of those like iconic. Like you'll go back in history and be like, remember that. Sh-? Uh, this is how crazy these people were.
1: Yeah, and we yeah. were like, everybody's like, "Oh, I want to be a flipper too." I mean, uh. you have you know everybody and their brothers are real. <laughs>
0: you see the Hunger Games where like they make fun of people who, you know, they 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 personify these people who eat food and then take this stuff to throw it up so they can eat again, and you like, are like, we're the same people. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's just
1: what we choose to celebrate. And in, in that case, um, you know, the the the, the, the five year adjustable arm that is designed for a flipper. Right, you know it's like if if you can do that, if you can get a house put put a little bit of juice into it, and then carry it at an incredibly low interest rate and sell it to somebody, that's awesome right because you're gonna that, that's what they were celebrating in that in that t v series I made forty thousand dollars on this house all right, well, sooner or later the music's gonna stop, and you're gonna get stuck with that chair right or stuck without a chair, so to speak that there's no butt to to put or there's no seat for your butt. And so you've you've got a house, you've bought it, got a five year arm, you're carrying it through, and the market collapses. Or even worse, what was happening is you're getting this cannibalization, and this is where Big Short gets into, like that that one guy that was uh, trying to sell his house, they didn't have jobs, and it was part of this flipping chain. You saw this pervasively in Florida that right. that uh, um, people were ratcheting it up their their house they were buying they couldn't afford a $600,000 house but you could afford a $600,000 house when you have a ridiculously low teaser rate interest rate for a 5-year cycle right and you're trying to ratchet yourself into a better house in the
0: system you're just part of it too well and this is where the financialization it blew my mind i mean i i read a book called and then the roof caved in which is kind of documents from from the ground level through the, the the banks and the insurance companies like AIG, how how every step in the process, you could look at it in a bubble and say, well, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do, but it was like one small fraud perpetuated another, perpetuated another, and you you get to the synthetic CDO, the 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 synthetic meaning the artificial uh, collateralized debt obligation, basically the the financial representation of your home that someone could buy fake and someone could buy insurance on fake and then that became like a leveraged bet on the housing market. So when there weren't enough butts to actually fill the homes and there weren't enough mortgages being originated to actually keep this bubble going, they just created fake things they could use to fill that gap. Expand the bubble. When you see... You, You see this like circle of financial life where in in post-war development, we have seen over and over again cities, corporations, governments, individuals making promises that are hinged on incredible growth rates going forward. Like the only way we meet these promises is if we achieve astounding rates of growth in the future. So early 80s, we're having budget problems at the local government level. We go to the public employees unions and we say, hey, don't have the cash on hand today to give you a raise. But I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll beef up your pension fund so that 20 years from now, you'll get a big payout. So you sacrifice today. We will do this. We're going to have great growth when we get the economy back going. And then you'll have this big payout. Well, that's premised on like a whole bunch of things, not only the, the high rate of growth, but the money in the pension fund being invested in things like CDOs and you know mortgage tranches that pay back at these really high rates in the future. So you get to this point where even if you started from like a, a moral place, you're going to sacrifice, we're going to make you a promise, which you can see that being an exchange that has some validity to it. You end up in this like crazy place where it's a it's a corrupt shell game. But
1: one of this just kind of flashed in my head as you were just talking about this to bring it back full circle to here to Santa Rosa, and we got this comment a couple of times through a couple of different presentations that cities in California and also places like Colorado and Alabama. there, you have cities and counties, and they function off property tax and retail tax, and the majority of the retail tax goes straight to the city here in California. Property tax is about, uh, was it 15% of their budget or something like that? Right. Uh, retail tax is about 30 about double that. So there's some incentive to chase after retail in at the, at the city level. The county level is 80% property tax. So the counties actually should be more advocating prop, property uh, development. But um, anyhow, the the, the auto mall, that came up, what, twice now? It did. We have the auto mall. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, the retail tax on a car is significant when you buy a $60,000 car or something like that. Right. So, okay, yeah, fair enough. And then I said, well, how many cars can you buy? You know? Yeah. And like I buy a car when my other car dies. Right. The auto mall didn't spur me to buy another car. Right. You know, it just transfers – this transaction that would have happened at it Bill Smith's Ford over to the auto mall.
0: It's not like from a city perspective, the acquisition in your city development portfolio of an auto mall and have it replace and now, you know, there's all these vacant auto lots all over the place yeah. where there used to be auto lots. It's not like that transaction Created more people, more turnover rate of cars. Yeah, it's the same thing. Like when a Walmart comes
1: to town, it's not like you couldn't buy toilet paper before. Exactly.
0: Like, I no one brushed <laughs> their teeth with toothpaste, yeah. and now Walmart showed up, and yeah. all of a sudden, well, you know, I can buy a toothbrush. Right. So, um, so there's more tax revenue in the system. It's, it's, it's a, for the most part, it's a transfer. I mean, this is what we showed in Lafayette too. Yeah, yeah.
1: So it's, it's kind of, I don't know. It's, it's interesting what we, what we kind of buy into. Um, with the after? Anyway, sorry, sorry about that. It got got us off Big Short there for a second. But
0: well, that's... I wanted to ask you. So, at the end of the movie, and this is not really a spoiler. I'm not, you know, there's th- there's no su- suspense to this movie. We all know how it ends. Um, it was fascinating to me how they kind of lay out in a in a, I would say a joke or comic, like you know, and. Then there was all this financial reform, and we broke up the big banks, and we did this, and then like, oh no, that's not what happened. And all these people went to jail. And all these people went to jail, right? And then like, oh oh, hang on, no, that's not what happened. Uh, we actually are just back to doing the same thing. And I I wrote this thing on a napkin this week for you that I think we're gonna have to this, make. This into has to be
1: on the on a, like a graphic <laughs> on your website. Yeah. You need a, just, just the napkin sketch. I don't think we need to make it any more graphically. No, maybe not.
0: So, so the napkin sketch basically – label is, it better. Yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> so it starts in 2000 and it ends in 2016 today. And it, it really was inspired by the conversation we're having here in Santa Rosa because I asked them very clearly, what, what would you call 2008? It was a housing what? And they said – Bubble. <laughs> and everybody said that. And I said, well, what happened when you experienced 2008? Oh, it was, it was terrible. Like housing prices dropped and property tax revenues dropped and nobody was buying. So was sales were inflated. And then, yeah. we should it, have seen it coming. Oh, we should have seen it coming. It was horrible. We had, you know, this, yeah. Like we, we looked back this and it was big, a bubble, this big
1: high arc up into the yeah, sky was unsustainable. Exactly.
0: We, we should have seen that. We all kind of felt it was crazy, but like, what do you do? And, and I said, okay. Um, Let's look at the graph then. So you've got this from 2000 to 2008, this up and then a down, sharp down. And from 2009 or 10 to now, what do you have? Do you have a housing what? Recovery. <laughs> and and the graph just like repeats what was before. It catches up to what happened in 2008. Yeah. So So this point over here is a bubble and this point over here is a recovery, yet they're the same exact thing. Yeah. How do you reconcile this? And you reconcile it because we like to live in delusion, right? And give it a different name. Yeah. A different name makes it all happy. We like to believe that somehow things are different. And, you know, somehow someone smart somewhere has figured out how to make this not happen again.
1: Or, Or worse, I have a heart attack. Yeah. And I know what that is. And then here I am experiencing the same pain and I'm calling it a post correction right <laughs> yeah, it's just a post correction
0: and, and and in the interim <laughs> you know you you went on a diet for 6 months uh but then you and just you went right back, back to back eating it. fries and cheeseburgers yeah, and like you know, you know uh, but, no but it's not going to end like up in the same place no i won't end up with it in a hospital it's a right. post correction exactly so i need another cheeseburger yeah to me the the you know and we we see right now and and i mentioned this on the podcast The last couple of weeks, I'm not a I I don't want to get into like crazy confirmation bias because I'm one of these people that do does not own stocks because I don't think you can properly value the stock market. I think it's insanely overvalued. I think it's I think our financial system is crazy and I've opted out of it in a sense to the extent that I can. And so when I watch the market drop day after day after day, these huge gyrations down a thousand points back up, you know, to up a hundred down 200 at the end of the day, it's confirmation to me that like this whole thing is, is unraveling. I don't want to get into confirmation bias because this is confirming my bias to watch this yet. Isn't there a part that you, you leave that movie and you're like, yeah, we live in this crazy distorted world and you know, kind of watching this comedy tragedy history of this, of this period of time, nothing has changed. This, we are in the same place.
1: Well, I don't, I don't think it's going to change. Um, <clears throat> you know, there's that one part in the movie where they're like, he just looked at everybody as if they were living in an Enya video.
0: <laughs> right. <You know? laughs> yeah. I, I caught that line too. I like yeah, that. Line. And I, I think to some extent, that's what I see. I don't, and I don't fault. He's people. walking around on the street and he's talking to his wife. This is a Steve Carell character. And he's saying, Nobody here knows. And he, he's put a bunch of expletives in there. Nobody here knows what's going on. Nobody knows that the whole financial market's going to melt down, that their home is a fraud. That it's like they're walking around in an Enya video. <laughs> yeah, well, it, and that's that's been my. I remember
1: uh, you and I were driving around Greensboro and I just was brutally taking you because i had to take all of these damn pictures yeah and I'm, we're going to strip mall after strip mall after strip mall after strip mall target parking lot mall uh. and i'm just documenting the hell out of this area and it was like the land area size of connecticut that we're driving around right and finally you had enough and <laughs> and you just you had this meltdown in the passenger seat <laughs> and you're like Come on, Joe. How expensive is this street? I mean, can't people see this? What's that building paying? I was like, oh, about two hundred thousand dollars a a year, and he's like, that doesn't pay for six feet of this road. And you're going nuts, <laughs> and you're just like, I can't take this anymore. And I said, Chuck, look, I've been dealing with this for for twenty uh-huh. years now. Yeah. And so I've, I guess I've had more time to process it. It's still. It's not that I'm not angry, but you know, this gets back to human behavior. It's delayed discounting. You know, it's like we. We have this uncanny ability to ignore things that we don't want to know and push them forward, and 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 we be and be hopefully optimistic. And this is what gets into the synthetic CDO, and that economist in the movie explains that that, that if we think we can gamble, we'll take that opportunity. Um, do you? It's just a weird quirk. Do you
0: experience? Because I, I experience this all the time, um, where you know, you and I go give these talks and we're here in Santa Rosa and we, we, we met with the council on the planning commission. We shared this information with them. Um, people look at us and, and I w- I'm wondering if you have the same perception sometimes as if we're speaking like Swahili in, in the sense that like, okay, we get the English coming out of your mouth and it makes very logical sense, but now you're using math and that freaks the heck out of us. And you know, okay, we see that your numbers make sense, but we're really scared, and so now we're just going to like pretend it didn't happen. And there's a certain... Um, I don't know. Uh, it, 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 I, I think people... I, I'm embarrassed often because people ascribe like some level of, of brilliance, insight, to, to, to us, to you, to me, that I don't think is at all justified by what we've actually done. I feel like we're just... Maybe the schmoes who were not smart enough to fall for what everybody else is, and we're just saying, like, look, the emperor has no clothes, and this is not hard to figure out.
1: Well, I, mean, I, I think I say it every presentation. I'm, I'm doing fifth grade math, right? You know, it's it's. I've, I got a 980 on my SATs.
0: <laughs> yeah, I and don't, I, I don't know if that's good or not. It's, but it's I'm not assuming, good. I okay. mean, <laughs> I, I shouldn't have gotten
1: into either college that I went to. It's like I didn't break a thousand. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's just for me. I had to learn this stuff on the fly and and teach myself in the way that I could understand it. So right. that's when you hear me talk, it's just explaining all of this stuff to myself.
0: I, I got to a point in my life where I said, I don't understand the markets the way I should. I, you know, I had read books and I had done it, and like I I don't. And I took two years and I subscribed. You can you can buy a CNBC subscription online. This is before you could if you had cable at home, which I don't, but it was 30 bucks a month, so it was not cheap. And I just had it on in my office all day, all the time. And what I did is I absorbed the language that they use so that when I heard them talking, like I I don't understand what that is, I would like research it and figure it out and then I'd hear it again, I'm like, okay, I get that now, but now I don't understand the next thing and I'd figure that one out. And after two years, I felt like I had listened to enough of their language to realize, like, this is all BS. Yeah. Well, that's the movie gets into that.
1: Right. These labels that they make for things to just... But it's in any kind of profession. You know, planners talk, run around talking about FARs. If, well, it means something, but... Right. It means more to them than the rest of society, but it's also a way to cage that information and make them be the professionals on it. Right. So why don't you just tell me your building can be twice the size of your lot? <laughs> right. Because you have to be an FAR of, you know, this, like, alphabet soup of jar- jargon, basically. But, um, yeah... I, you know, it's whether or not that's, you know, the, the, the movie goes on to describe how that's somewhat malicious. Um, well, in the, the uh, yeah, I don't know necessarily if I agree with that, but I can see that, that line of thinking. It's
0: funny because you go back to the appraiser who praised my house with just a set of plans and I needed an appraisal of 185 to get the loan. And lo and behold, what did the appraisal come in at 185 now? If I had gone to sell my house right after I built it, you know what it probably was sold for? Probably like 200, you know? So it's it's not like, the was the appraiser lying? Not really. Given a fork in the road, one that would have got the appraiser more work and one that wouldn't, both of which could be plausibly defended, are you immoral for taking the one that, you know, benefits you? That's a real questionable thing, and if you look at the the housing market and the bubble that we created in you know up to two thousand and eight that book and then the roof fell in shows how at every kind of level in this it really wasn't um necessarily criminal activity as much as it was there's a there's a fork in the road left is like a strict interpretation that would hurt me financially right is a a more liberal interpretation that is defensible, that will really help me financially, I'm going to take that one. I'm going to take the right fork. And it's hard to blame people for doing that. I mean, we can be self-righteous. Well, you
1: forgot the third option in that fork, which is the overly pessimistic view of the world will collapse yes and then you know those people don't even get listened to because no. no one wants to hear bad news that was me
0: that was you know i yeah. it was you to an extent and it was like you're you're crazy we don't want to listen to that at all yeah. yeah um the the one part of the movie that that the movie clarified for me that the book hadn't i read the book twice um i, I didn't grasp this but the movie made it clear there's this point in time where these guys own essentially the, the short, the bets against housing. And they it's through the banks that they own them. And they have these agreements where if the bet moves against the guys making the short, they have to put up more collateral so to make sure the banks get paid. And if the bet moves the other way, the bank has to put up collateral to make sure the guys making the short get paid. That's a standard procedure in something like this that's not very liquid. and. What they showed in the movie was that the banks refused to revalue these. And so even though all the mortgages were starting to default that made up these bonds, the bonds were still rated AAA and, you know, paying out very little, which was in the bank's favor. I got that in the book. But what I didn't get is why the banks did that. And the movie made it clear that the banks were doing that so that they could clear those off their books at triple A and then buy cheap insurance against the ones that they couldn't get off their books to basically put them in a better position. And that, that, that was the illegal part, right? Yeah. Like that was the part where if you're an insider, you used your insider position to basically bilk, to, to, to screw people over in a way that is not only immoral, but, but crosses over into being illegal. And that, that's the part where where they called it fraudulent. Fraudulent. Yeah. Who went to jail? Nobody. Yeah. And the movie makes a, a really good point of like, you know, showing how that was just corrupt. Um, two thumbs up. Two thumbs up. I totally agree. That was a lot of fun. Thanks for going with me. I enjoyed it. All right. Thanks everybody for listening, and keep doing what you can make strong That's right. Take care, everybody. We need your help. If you think the Strong Towns message is important, don't keep it to yourself. Pass it on. You can get more information and sign up to be a member of Strong Towns at strongtowns.org. They know that America's one big pothole right now. Bill, Bill. Bill, Bill, that's a
1: start. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating.
0: Who oh, made this city?
1: I like you. I like your vision of the of the world.
0: The United Nations Earth Summit Agenda 21. Yeah.